0: This is a podcast from Concern Worldwide, bringing you stories from some of the 25 countries we work in as humanitarians, the challenges communities are facing, some of the solutions and other bits in between. To find out more about Concern, visit Concern.net. Hello and welcome to episode eight of POD Worldwide. In this episode, we hear from Ukraine as it marks two years of conflict. The
1: war makes people change their priorities, not to put things off and to value life and their loved ones more, to understand better who they are and what they can do, to support each other in difficult
0: moments. We go to Liberia in West Africa to find out what item makes a trip to the loo
2: much more pleasant and safer. And a good thing about it is also, you can build it in your house. At first, people could not put it in their homes because of the scent.
0: And we hear from photographer Mr. Hassan on the photo he's taken for concern in Bangladesh. That's his favourite.
3: There is a light. Sun was going down and there is a warm light coming out uh, from her head. That was wonderful. And I felt that's the spirit.
0: I'm your host, Edith Staunton. First up... February 24th marked two years of the escalation of the conflict in Ukraine, just a couple of days before this podcast was published. More than 15 million people have been forced from their homes in those 24 months, including almost 8 million people who have fled to other countries. Olena Kovalenko lives in Kharkiv, less than 50 kilometres from the border with Russia. She works for Jeru the Joint Emergency Response in Ukraine, a partnership between Concern Worldwide and German humanitarian organisation, Welt Hungerhilfe. Olena was kind enough to take the time to tell us what the last two years have been like for her, starting with describing how her life changed on the 24th of February 2022. The worst day of my life, when my whole life collapsed.
1: It was unclear what would happen next, whether Kharkiv would stay, whether Ukraine would remain independent. I was very scared for my family, friends and acquaintances. It was a day of exchanging calls and messages. Some were leaving, some were going to the front, some people's phones did not answer and the other person would never answer. It was the day when it became clear that things were not going to be the same, that everything had changed. I did not go to work, my office was in an area that was under active rocket fire. I was at my parents' place in the suburbs of Kharkiv, and there were no shelters at all, only a cellar. There was a lot of confusion. It was unclear what to do and where to go. There was almost no information from official sources that day. Only a large number of explosions and military vehicles were hot. I didn't have a grab bag. I didn't want to pack it. I didn't think and didn't want to think that I would have to go somewhere, that we would all plunge into the hell
0: of war. Before the 24th of February, Olena, who's in her early thirties, worked as a lawyer. And as she says herself, I enjoyed life and had many plans for it. Met
1: with friends and generally had a very ordinary and very happy life.
0: Olena and her family, her parents and a younger sister, ended up leaving Kharkiv soon after the conflict escalated.
1: At first, I wanted to stay in Kharkiv. But the intensity of the shelling was incredible. Houses in all districts and people's lives were being destroyed. Administrative buildings were falling. It seemed that there was no living place left in Kharkiv. So at the end of March, I decided to leave.
0: Once they crossed the border to Romania, Elena took a flight to France where she met a family who gave her shelter and who she is still friends with today. She expected she'd be home within a month or so and only brought a small backpack with essentials. However, she ended up staying in France for 15 months. But it was through this experience as being the recipient of aid that she realised her place was back in Kharkiv.
1: It was better for me at home because I wanted to help people like the volunteers who helped me. Now I don't want to go to another city or country. I'm finally where I want to be, doing what I've always wanted to do. I'm in my place. You can't imagine how warm Jeru's projects to rebuild Kharkiv are to the soul. I'm not personally involved in them, but I'm sincerely glad that there are so many caring people who are ready to rebuild my city.
0: Olena is currently a protection officer with Jeru which involves providing social and legal protection to vulnerable people to help them cope with challenges and stress. There is a lot that people have to deal with on a daily basis, but life goes on, as Olena describes. Almost every evening
1: and night, several times a week, Kharkiv is shelled either by missiles or drones. That's why you can't turn off the volume on your phone, because you need to see the ear raid alerts in the app and the monitoring channels. In the morning, everyone is often very tired and sad, but they go to work. At work, I also have to constantly monitor the alarms, because in Kharkiv, the air-raid alarm goes off an average of five times a day. But during the day, Kharkiv is similar to peaceful cities, only very destroyed. As for shelters, there are many in the office part of the city, and residential buildings have often been built without shelters. For example, the nearest shelter from my apartment is the metro, which is 5-7 minutes away. Very often we see warnings that a missile has taken off 30-60 seconds before it arrives and there is no time to run to a shelter. That's why most people in Kharkiv either go to the bathroom or the corridor or don't have time to hide anywhere.
0: But there are things that do not go on as they did. There's no theatres, concerts, mass gatherings of people are forbidden. Children do not go to school or kindergarten. In a row with Jeru, Olena works with a local partner to run psychosocial support for children. Both psychologists and teachers work to help them catch up with their education and provide a comfortable space for them to forget about their fears, explosions, worries and just be children.
1: It is very painful to see a once thriving city turned into a half-empty and wounded one, with the homes and hearts of its inhabitants destroyed. But we are definitely living in a city with people who have made a conscious decision to stay no matter what, who love Kharkiv. A few days ago, after a major fire, when there was a need for clothes and food for the victims, there was a traffic jam in the city with cars bringing aid in a steady stream. When you realize every day that you could be the next person to receive a greeting from the aggressor country, it is hard to remain indifferent to other people's problems. It is very unifying. The war makes people change their priorities. Not to put things off and to value life and their loved ones more. It is very noticeable that people have started to doubt less and do more, to understand better who they are and what they can do, to support each other in difficult moments and to celebrate small victories together in anticipation of a big one.
0: Like many Ukrainians, Olena is looking ahead to a time when there is no conflict.
1: I have one big dream. Like everyone else, And that is victory. I really wanted to come soon and for us all to live peacefully and happily, without worrying about our loved ones. When the war is over, I will walk around Kharkiv at night, have a picnic with my friends in the countryside, lie on the grass and look at the calm and peaceful blue sky. And then go to Boryspil airport and just sit in a coffee shop and admire the civilian planes flying back and forth. People enjoying meeting each other and saying goodbye for the last time. People rushing to the chicken counter instead of taking shelter from the ERAD. I wish we could all implement such plans as soon as possible.
0: Many thanks to Elena for taking the time to tell us her experiences over the last two years. And if you want to learn more about CONCERN's work in Ukraine, you can go to concern.net forward slash Ukraine. <laughs> Next up, we go to Items I Can't Do My Job Without, where we hear from concerned colleagues around the world on what object, big and small, is essential to the job. Tong El Okanlowan works for concern in Liberia, in West Africa, and her job at the moment revolves mainly around something we all use and in many parts of the world take for granted. She explained how the project she's working on is making it easier for everyone to have
2: access to a safe toilet. My name is I work for Concern Worldwide Liberia as a social and behavior change team lead. So we are working with people all over those five of our counties in Liberia here to ensure that they change their negative behavior towards toilet construction or habit of tolling in the bush to a positive one where they can be able to construct a very good toilet for them, their family. And at the end of the day, everyone can use a toilet rather than going in a bush. And just
0: to say, what is the name of the item that you can't do your job without?
2: This is a work that is focused on people building toilets. So we have this new product that we are using as a social marketing product for people to buy. We're not giving it to them free. But we are inspiring them to buy it. This Sato toilet. In Liberia, currently, toilet products are very expensive. Just to build a simple toilet, you have to buy the ceramic toilet for 60 or $70. You have to pay so much money to somebody to come and construct, to build something that is so huge. So a lot of people around here do not have money to buy toilets. The Sato product is very, very durable. Is a product that can last for up to 25 years and it also prevents smell because one thing that makes people to use their budges is because of the scent from the toilet. So this Sato toilet prevents smell.
0: What does the Sato product have that the other toilets don't have to stop the smell?
2: So there's a slab that opens and closes. The traditional toilets around here do not have that. But this one has that slab that will close and prevent anything that goes into the, from coming back outside. So you now have roaches coming outside, flies will not come outside, odor won't come outside. It is also comfortable because you can sit on it. So people with disability can also sit on it. The elderly people can also sit on it. And you do not need a lot of water to flush it. This one is made out of rubber. A very strong rubber that can last for up to 25 years. And it's easy to wash. So even if you use it, you just need just a little bit of water and just a little brush to clean in it. And there you go. It's again ready to use. Most of us around here do use buckets to flush. So most time you have to use like up to two buckets of water to flush. Some of our communities do not have access to water so easily.
0: That is the biggest barrier, is is the cost of a toilet and the infrastructure to go with the toilet, is it?
2: Yes, that is the biggest challenge, the cost. Because a lot of people know about toilet being harmful. A lot of people know that you can get sick from toilet from using the outside. A lot of people know also know that toilet outside can bring you shame. But because of the many challenges people go through, they will prefer using their money to pay children's school fees, to buy food. They'll prefer finding shelter uh, rather than building a toilet. You need to give them something that is more affordable and durable. So that was how this whole saddle product came into play. This product is sold for just $15 for this stool. So, 70 to 15, you can imagine. There's a wild margin. We also have a technology that we are using to do the septic thing, which could just take you maybe like $40 to do. And so, $65 that you're just supposed to buy a ceramic toilet can build you a whole, comfortable, new toilet. You need to bring in new products rather than relying on the traditional ones that we have here.
0: What is the importance to people's health and safety, having access to a, a toilet?
2: So, as a female, you don't know who's in the bush. That person could rape you as a girl child or as a lady. Or maybe you could get bitten by a snake because you have to travel in the bush to go and find a place to toilet. Or it could be a season where you become uncomfortable running into the rain to go out there to toilet. All of those have been kind of challenging for our people.
0: And I guess when you talk about it's helping people, what kind of feedback do you get from people who have have put it into their house and how it's made life a bit easier?
2: Oh, right now, there are three kind of things that we are hearing from them. First is the comfort, because a lot of people here like to sit. They also feel part of the comfort is that, again, no odor, so they are like comfortable. And the good thing about it is also you can build it in your house. At first, people could not put it in their homes because of the scent from the old ones they were constructing, but because no odor, you can just put it right in your house.
0: Thanks to Thong for speaking to me. And if you're still a little confused about what a SATO toilet product looks like, you can find a picture of it on Pod Worldwide's webpage, concern.net forward slash pod worldwide. Photos are essential in conveying the experiences of communities concern works with to a wider world. We work with lots of different photographers who capture these experiences in a dignified and realistic as possible manner. So here at POP Worldwide, we thought it would be good to hear from some of those photographers on their favourite photo that they've taken for concern. Mohammad Raqbul Hassan or MR Hassan is an internationally renowned documentary photographer, filmmaker and visual artist based in Bangladesh and spoke to me from the capital Dhaka.
3: My name is Mohammad Raqbul Hassan and um, I'm a photographer and a documentary filmmaker and I did a very big project for Hassan worldwide in Bangladesh called Crane.
0: Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that, the project?
3: Yeah, the project was located in Bhagir Hutt, and Bhagir Hutt is in the south part of Bangladesh, adjacent to the Bay of Bengal, and uh, the world's largest mangrove forest called Sundarbans, where the Royal Bengal Tiger lives, and that place is a climate-prone place. They frequently face the cyclones. With the cyclone, the flash flood comes from the sea, and... The sea water is salty, and uh, when the flood goes, the salt actually remains on the soil. No crops can grow, and people, they don't have uh, enough access to that kind of seeds uh, that can grow in salty land, so that is the problem. So that's why there is a severe scarcity of vegetables, fruits, or any food item. What Concern Worldwide did in those places, they trained them how to grow crops like sustainable in the salinity as well. They got that training and got the seeds and other technical support so that people can eat proper diet. There are a lot of families I worked with, I photographed and uh, The family I want to talk about is, her name is Momotabala. She's like, 30 or 32 year old and she's got uh, two kids and uh, her husband the couple used to work as a day laborer they together earned like 300 taka like two and a half us dollar per day so that was not sufficient for them and what they did they have uh, their own home that was a hut actually made out of drawers and bamboos and they started, in their yard, they started growing vegetables, the seeds they received from the grain project. And when I went there, the vegetable garden was like blushing. It was wonderful. And there was uh, many other fruits and vegetables. And they also had very rich um, chicken farm. So that was wonderful. And they always get eggs from the hen. And they also have duck and because around that place, there are a lot of canals and ponds and uh, rivers, so they can cultivate those kind of things. They have uh, cows from which they got uh, milk. So their children got egg, milk, and they have a small pond over there. They also cultivated fish. So the whole nutrition plan is there.
0: They're self-sufficient, and then they're an example.
3: When it was surplus, the food and everything, Mamatabala started a small shop in front of her house so the other villagers can buy fresh vegetables, fish, and other things what they produce from them. A neighborhood also gets idea from Mamata Bala and her husband, so so that they can start something like that. And I went through that village and I saw there there are many other families. They also started that kind of thing. That place was climate prone, and the people started learning how to adapt to it.
0: Is there any photo in particular with your photographer eye, as opposed to an NGO eye? That's one of your favorite photographs.
3: My my favorite photo um, is uh, when uh, Momotabala is in her shop selling her produce to the villagers. So there is a light, you know, uh, sun was uh, going down and there is a warm light is uh, coming out uh, from her head. So that's a backlit. That was wonderful. And I felt that's the spirit that uh, in our country, women usually uh, don't go out to sell products like that. So now they're changing. She started the shop. It's not her husband, her husband helps her. So it's, it's a different thing and this is exemplary matter uh, for everyone even in a village because in village it is a bit uh, conservative women must not open up shop by herself or they should not talk to the men on so they actually overcome that barrier mother mala's husband is very open that he will work with his wife so they are doing it together so other men can also learn from that and they are learning too that women can work together with the man and women can take the decision as well because Mama took the decision to do something for her family. And she took that initiative, she got the training, she got the seeds and little funding, and she regularly contact with those uh, non-profit people who will give her support, and that's why she's very successful. And she become a hero in her village and other families are following her steps as well. And she is so charming and so positive. So that's, that is the energy I've, I felt that everyone should have so that they can make progress in life.
0: And you can see the photo of Momo Bala that Mohammed was speaking of again on our webpage concern.net forward slash pod dash worldwide. Thanks to Mohammed for joining me and is there a photo from Concern that you'd like to learn more about? Get in contact and we can investigate. You can email us at podworldwide@concern.net, or you can send a voice note via WhatsApp to an Irish number 085 872 0720. If you're under 18 don't forget to cc in your guardian if emailing or message from their phone once you have their permission of course. And that's it for this episode of Pod Worldwide. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening to it. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and please give it a review on whatever platform you listen to it on. It really helps grow our audience. We'll be doing it all again next month. Until then, thanks to all our guests for joining us.